Hey everybody, welcome to the test review for the legislative branch. You're going to have 25 questions on this one, uh, multiple choice wise, and then an FRQ where we're going to compare some court cases. You've practiced it before. All right, so let's get rolling with our review. Uh, there's 17 review questions plus the five review questions. I'll go through all of them here and then talk about the FRQ really quickly. Hopefully get this wrapped up in about 15, 20 minutes so you're not taking too much of your time. Uh, all right, so first off, the, the bills to a law steps. Uh, I'm not going to go through every step. You have the, the sheet that lists the steps. You can easily Google um, those if you really want to you know, get into the nitty-gritty of that stuff. But just remember the bill is going to be introduced to uh, the House or the Senate. They can start on either side. And then it's going to go to a committee. <coughs> Excuse me. And then from there it's going to get worked on. And then it's going to go to the full House or the full Senate. Uh, get voted on. Then it goes to the other side. goes to the same process. If it's the same bill, they send it on to the president. If it's not, they work it out and get it set. And then uh, it goes back for another vote, and then it can go to the president. But they got to pass the same exact bill. Uh, once again, if you ha if you have questions or concerns about how a bill becomes a law, then uh, either ask me on Remind uh, tonight or um, you know, Google it and see what you can find. There's plenty of infographics out there that will give you more detailed steps than, than that little brief thing right there. All right. Uh, the second thing was the differences between the House and the Senate. Now, we did a whole PowerPoint on the differences, uh, things like the Senate has a filibuster and the House doesn't. Uh, the House is more formal. The Senate is less formal. Um, so those types of things. Some other things uh, that you might need to know um, is that the uh, House is you know, based on representation. The Senate is equal. Uh, the House has two-year terms. The Senate has six-year terms. So uh, things along those lines um, are what you're considering here. Okay, uh, but I would look at that PowerPoint if I'm studying uh, and trying to figure out uh, what's on there. I think the question on the test is going to be, you know, something uh, from from one of those things where we talked about holds and unanimous consent agreements, the fact that the Senate can uh, has unlimited debate and things like that. Alrighty. Uh, number three, we talked about specifically in class, the legislative branch checks on the executive branch. So there's three big ones. The Congress can impeach the president and uh, have him forced out. Uh, they can override his vetoes with a two-thirds vote of both sides. And they also have the uh, confirmation power the Senate does. And remember, uh, that can be done two ways. Either they can refuse to confirm someone once he's been appointed. Alrighty. Or they can threaten to not confirm someone. And that forces the president to either pick someone safer that the Senate will approve. Uh, and that kind of takes the power out of the president's hands. Alrighty. All right. Number four, how Congress and the president can control bureaucratic agencies together. Remember, uh, it's, it's the budget. That's the one thing they can kind of do together is the budget. Um, the president has nothing to do with oversight. So he, he can't, doesn't take part in that process, but they can work on the budget. And if they can uh, come to an agreement on that, they can work on that together. Number five, pork barreling. And an example, uh, the example I don't think is too important for this, um, as long as you understand what pork barreling is. And remember, pork barreling is where um, legislatures are going to take money. Uh, and that sounds shady. It's not take. They're just going to, to, to use federal funds uh, and get it 
for a program, a project in their home district or their home state. Okay, and it really only benefits them and their states. Congressmen love to do it because it allows them to um, be able to point to it during re-election years and say, hey, look, that money I got for this project. Ready? Uh, six, the committees and subcommittees. Remember, there are standing committees on both sides. There are subcommittees of those committees on both sides. And this is where the work of Congress takes place. All right. Uh, it's not like movies sometimes show it, TV, I mean, uh, TV shows show it, where they're sitting and debating a bill with all everybody. It, it takes place in the committees. That's where the work takes place is in these committees. Uh, number seven, Iron Triangles. I feel like we've gone over Iron Triangles so many times this time. I really hope it's on the AP test because we really hammered at home. Uh, but this is just the relationship between the bureaucratic agencies, the congressional committees, and the interest groups. On the test, there's a diagram that you'll have to put them uh, kind of in order. Uh, number eight, the House Rules Committee. Remember, it is the most important committee in Congress, uh, both sides. It is only a House thing. So it only exists on the House. It does not exist in the Senate. Um, and they can they set the, the terms and conditions and regulations for bills. Uh, they can say how long something's going to be debated. They can set it as an open, uh, open bill, a closed bill, where they're not going to allow amendments. They are going to allow amendments to the, the, the bill. So just a lot of things the Rules Committee can do. And it's a very important one uh, because if they really want to crush something, they can crush it. Alrighty. Uh, number nine, back maritalism. We said it's just simply the two house legislature. Pretty simple. Uh, cloture. All right. Cloture. This is how we end a filibuster. Remember, filibustering is something uh, that's going to happen on the Senate side. It's a tool of the minority party and is where they're going to try and talk a bill to death. Now, when you talk a bill to death, you're not actually killing the bill. You're just trying to delay action on other pieces of legislation. So if you're up there filibustering and talking about a bill and talking about a bill, and I have a bill that's very important to me in my home state, and I'm like, man, we got to get this person to be quiet, I might make a motion for cloture. Okay? Now, I'm going to go kind of slow here. To make the motion, you got to have 16 people back you up. Yes, we also want to have um, cloture. Okay? We want to close this thing out. All right? Once you have the motion approved for cloture, then you have a vote. And... The cloture vote ends debate. So I'm talking about an issue. I'm talking, I've been talking about it for 10 days now. It's time to move on. So let's stop debate. We're going to stop the, the time allowed for talking, and we're going to move right to a vote. All right? So if you get 60, 60 people to vote with you on cloture, the debate ends, and you have a vote on the, the issue, whatever it might be. So here's Senate Bill 5. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it. I've been talking about it now for, for six days. You're ready for me to end. You make a move for cloture. You have your people who back you up. And then the whole Senate votes on it. If 60 senators agree with you and vote on the cloture, debate ends and we'll go right to a, uh, a debate. I mean, uh, to, a, um, to a vote on the issue. So cloture is going to basically put a stop to all debate. Even if I've been talking for six days and there's people lined up behind me to talk and talk and talk about it, they don't get to if the cloture vote passes. Okay, so they don't get to if the cloture vote passes. Number 11, log rolling. That is just the favors that uh, congressmen do each other. So, hey, if you vote on my bill, I'll vote on yours. Or if you get this person named to this place, uh, I'll vote on your bill. Stuff like that. 
Number 12, why Congress does not always side with the president? Well, it's because they, they deal with different <clears throat> um, different constituents, okay? Um, they have um, the president who is concerned about the whole country and has to be worried about what the voters in every state thinks about them, okay? Versus a congressman, a house person only has a small district to worry about. A senator has a state, and they don't have to worry about what the, everybody else is doing, you know? The vote that a House member does does not affect people in other states. So, and they don't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't concern them how the people of Florida think about something that a Georgia congressman is voting on. It's just it's not a not an issue. So there's that constituency difference. Uh, Thirteen congressional leadership positions and what they do. All right, the speaker is only on the House side. Remember, there is no. President, I mean, uh, there is no Speaker of the Senate. There's only a Speaker of the House. And they drive the agenda for the majority party in the House. All right. That's the main thing. Uh, they Most decisions are going to go through them. They are the leadership of the House. And they come from the majority party. Uh, they work with the Rules Committee to set agenda debate, uh, uh, to set uh, debate rules and things like that for a bill. Uh, they set the committee chairpersons. All right. Uh, they can play a role in the picking who's on the committee. So a lot of power comes with the Speaker of the House, right? and it is the majority party only. Uh, majority and minority leaders are on both sides. There's a House majority leader and a Senate majority leader, and then there's a House minority leader and a Senate minority leader. So they're both places. Let's do the House first. Uh, the House majority leader is going to work with the, the, the Rules Committee and the Speaker of the House uh, to work on the agenda, to put people on committees and all those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, they are just typically the next step down. They're almost like the vice president. All righty. Uh, and then the minority leader on the, the House side, really, they don't get to do much because the minority party in the House does not have much power. Okay. And that's a key thing to remember. The minority party leadership is really, and the minority party in general is very limited in what they can do. And it's just how it is. All righty. Uh, they will make strategies and try and come up with ways to, to try and stop uh, the, the majority party from pushing everything they want through, but at the end of the day, there's not much they can do. On the Senate side, the majority and minority leaders are supposed to work together to work through the agenda. Uh, it's supposed to be maybe a more cordial relationship between the two, although right now it's kind of not. The whips, uh, both sides have whips, House and Senate, and there are Republican whips and there are Democrat whips, and then there are assistant whips, junior whips, something like that. Okay, but anyways, the whips these are the people uh, that are going to kind of do the grunt work almost uh, of the leadership. All righty. So, hey, we have this impeachment thing going on in the House. The whips are going to the, the House Republicans and the House Democrats and saying, how are you going to vote? If we decide to push these articles of impeachment, are you going to vote with the party? If you're not, they're going to try and convince you to vote with the party. If they can't convince you, then they're going to run to the, the, the leadership. And this is where you know, things can get tricky for you. Uh, if you're refusing to vote with the party, they they can't kick you out of office, but they can they can make it difficult on you. Okay, but that's the whip's job. Uh, they take care of rounding up votes, making sure people are voting the way they're supposed to, uh, getting an idea of how people feel about legislation. Um, you know, if you have problems, you can go to the whip. It's not just rounding up votes and things like that. It's also um, it's kind of a sounding board. All right, and you're not going to go directly to the leadership, but you you could go to the whip. Alrighty, uh, all right, gerrymandering. Remember, gerrymandering is the manipulation of the boundaries of congressional and state districts, state line, dist uh, state level districts that are going to uh, 
be drawn in an unfair manner. And you draw them, okay, uh, to kind of give your party an advantage. And both sides do it, Republicans and Democrats. All right. Uh, 15, nuts and bolts of Congress. Understand both sides and the differences. Uh, this goes back to the number two that we talked about. Uh, there's a lot of differences between the House and the Senate. Um, if you understand that PowerPoint where we talked about that stuff and then some of the, the kind of just regular old stuff where two-year terms versus six-year terms for the Senate, um, 25 versus 30, um, localized district versus the, the state, things like that, uh, you should be okay with that one. All right, 16 committees and how they can address issues with a, a within a bureaucratic agency. So remember, okay, the committees, or excuse me, Congress in whole has two things they can do. They can control the budget and they can do oversight. Okay, the committees, they really control the oversight process. If an agency is doing something that they are not happy with, then they can uh, call them in for uh, a hearing. And nobody in the bureaucracy wants to be called before Congress to answer questions. Okay. Uh, lastly, for the normal questions, number 17, the discharge petition, this is where if a bill, this is a house only thing, if the bill has been in committee for over 30 days with nothing happening to it, so it's just sat in the committee, uh, you can make a move, a motion to discharge it without committee approval. And it would come out of the committee with them not doing anything to it. All right. More often than not, it's not going to work out because who's in charge of the committees? The majority party. Who's in control of the full house? The majority party. So if the majority party has decided we're not going to do anything with this bill, good chance it's not going to pass the full house. So discharge petitions don't get used too often. All right. All right. Your review questions. Uh, the first one there is the Federalists versus Anti-Federalists. Uh, just remember that the Federalists, uh, they were okay with the large republic, the large central government, um, and all that came with that. The Anti-Federalists, they wanted the small republic, more state rights, um, and state protections and things like that. All right. Uh, the checks on the power of the bureaucracy. Remember, uh, you've got the budget and oversight. So this goes back to number 16 there. Uh, those are really the two big things that, uh, that can be done to, to curb the power of the bureaucracy. Yeah, Congress can also write new legislation and things like that, but that takes a while. The easiest thing is to do, let's mess with the budget and let's call them in for an oversight hearing. Shays Rebellion. Uh, Shays Rebellion pops up from time to time, so here it is. Uh, just remember, uh, this was when there was a rebellion up in Massachusetts. They called for help. No one came. And so uh, they said, hey, that, that shows how weak the Articles of Confederation is. Okay. Executive agreements. Remember, those are the things the president can do uh, with other countries, and it gets around Senate approval. So that's an important important power. Um, and you know, it's something that the president can use uh, to avoid that check and balance thing that Congress has on it. And then lastly is federalism. Federalism, remember, is the uh, sharing of powers between multiple governments. We have the national government, which has power over us, and we also have the uh, state governments and local governments and all those. All right, last thing, five minutes here. Uh, your FRQ is going to be a court case comparison. Remember I said the argument of the thing I didn't want to do because we haven't practiced it yet. So we'll practice it the week before Thanksgiving. Um, so there are two court cases you had to know from this this thing. So it's going to be you centered around one of those. You have Baker versus Carr and Shaw versus Reno. And there'll be no information on the, the FRQ about Baker versus Carr or Shaw versus Reno. The information will come from a different case. All right. So there will be a case that we have not talked about uh, on there. The 
prompt will give you the information and then you answer the, the questions. All right. Uh, all right. So let's talk about Baker versus Carr and then let's talk about Shaw versus Arena. So you'll be somewhat prepared for those. You might want to look them up yourself uh, if you're going to study. Um, Baker versus Carr, okay, happened up in Tennessee in the 1960s. There was a law on the books in Tennessee from 1901 that said the state is going to redistrict, all right? And they had not done so since 1920. So here it is in 1960. This guy, Baker, lives in Shelby County, Tennessee, and it has gotten huge. There's lots of people living there, a lot of economic stuff going on, so people have moved in for jobs and all that kind of stuff. And so he's saying my vote's not counting. There's too many people here, and uh, you know, uh, remember we talked about how in Congress, the more people there are in a district, the less representation you actually get, and the less your vote counts in those big districts. Alrighty, so he's arguing, hey, we need to redistrict based on that, and he's saying the Fourteenth Amendment says equal protection, and I'm not getting that equal protection. Alrighty, uh, and so that's what it's based around. The court is eventually going to rule that the district districts were <coughs> and needed to be. Uh, redone, okay, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, very sorry, um, and so that's where that comes from, okay, it's going to lead to the one person, one vote doctrine, where we're trying to keep the districts as equal as possible. The other thing you need to remember uh, is that Baker versus Carr is going to get the courts into the process of looking at districts. They had not done this prior, okay, uh, they said that's a judicial, I mean, a, a Political question. We don't answer political questions. All righty. Uh, one other distinction you need to make for Baker versus Carr, and this is very important for tomorrow, uh, is that Baker was questioning the state district lines, not the congressional national lines. All righty. Okay. So then Shaw versus Reno was in North Carolina. And during uh, redistricting in 1990, uh, North Carolina had drawn some lines that, uh, and they had done one district that was uh, black majority. Okay, of voters, and they submitted it to the federal government because that's who had to approve it. And they said no, they struck it down. Janet Reno was the Secretary of State at the time, she struck it down. So they redrew and they came up with two black majority districts. Okay, well, this is going to get some voters in North Carolina upset, and so five white voters are going to sue. Uh, based on the Equal Protection Amendment of the 14th Amendment, and they're going to say that they are being, uh, their votes are, are being uh, kind of, uh, their, their voting power is being taken away based on the whole one person, one vote thing. All right. The Supreme Court is going to say, no, not really. All right. So as far as the white voters versus the, in, in, you know, their votes being taken away because of the, the black districts and stuff like that, that's not what they were concerned about. They did say it was bizarre and strangely drawn districts, uh, but that the white votes were not, you know, you were still, you still had equal protection, all right? But they did say you shouldn't draw lines around um, racial racial lines. So that's where that comes from, okay? So that's Baker versus Carr and Shaw versus Reno. Now, the, the third part of your prompt deals with something called stare decisis, and I debated on whether to leave this in there or not. And it, I think it is a pretty easy concept, so I'm going to leave it in there. Uh, stare decisis is a Latin term, and it just means to let the decision stand. So court will look at previous cases that are similar, all righty? So if something has happened in the past and now we have a, a case, they're going to say, hey, we did this already, okay? The whole Roe versus Wade thing, I personally think they'll look at the, the all these abortion laws that are being declared unconstitutional and like, we've already decided this. Stare decisis, we're just going to let that decision stand. That's all that means is we're not going to make a new decision. 
we're just going to let the old decision and the old court case stand. You might also see a precedent, all right? A uh, precedent setting case is where they have made a decision and it's kind of going to kind of going to be the the decision. So the same sex marriage case from a couple a couple years ago, Obergefell versus Hodges, that was a precedent setting case. And now any case that comes before that, where not letting same sex marriages happen, um, you know, stare decisis. We already decided this back in 2013 or 14, whenever that was. Okay. All right. If you have questions about this, feel free to uh, hit me up on Remind up till about 10, 1030. I tend typically will answer questions up till then. And I'm also at school at 615. If you have questions, uh, let me know and uh, have a good afternoon, evening, and we'll see you in class. Bye-bye. The music at the beginning was from filmmusic.io, and it was The Path of the Goblin King by Kevin McLeod.